Fantastic. Uh, good evening, everyone. Good evening, uh, particularly if you're new here, if you're watching for the first time on the live stream back at home, in the gym, wherever you are in cyberspace. But particularly welcome if this is the first time that you have been to Metro. It's really good to see you. My name's Philip. And uh, we are in part two of our series. It's interesting, actually. I don't know if you... How many were here last week? Okay. Quite a lot of us were here last week. How many of you would say that last week was the, the loudest trailer you've ever heard in your life? <laughs> and you can really tell the, the, the nature and the personality of the person mixing. Uh, Matthew Forth, very much more delicate, light touch. It's like, let's not disturb, let's not frighten people. But uh, this series, How to Survive the End of the World, we started this last week by just examining this whole thing, that the world that we thought that we knew is kind of, it's, it's coming to an end. So it's, it's like the end of the world as we know it. For many of us, the pandemic and the war in Ukraine fundamentally altered what we thought was possible. We never imagined that our lives could be so disrupted. Most of us never imagined that we would live to see war in Europe. We thought that things would just gradually get better, that things are going to get more and more civilized, and, and we work things through, and we've got tech, and we've got politics, and we've got all those kinds of things. But actually, the world as we know it seems really, really challenging. And so tonight, I want to talk about worry. I want to talk about worry. I want to talk about, and, and picking up from last week, where we, we just looked at what Jesus said, where Jesus said, look, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Don't be surprised by it, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And Jesus talks about us having peace. But how does that work in reality? And so we want to talk about worry. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up whether you're worried or not. I think for all of us, it kind of goes up and it goes down. We are amazing as human beings at being resilient. You know, we had this thing, we discussed it in the midweek groups, the hubs, over the week. And some people were saying, well, you know, I've always known friction and tension and conflict and global warming and political upheaval and uh, depressions and recessions. That's all I've known all of my life. And, you know, I, I can just take it in my stride. We can be really resilient. But then stuff that can happen to us can really throw us over the edge. The stuff that's happened financially this week, even in the last week, even since we last came together. There's been carnage in the markets. And some of you I know, you're looking, I want to buy a house. I want to settle down. Others of you are thinking, this is in my future. How on earth are we going to manage? How are we going to make it? And we can, we can have tremendous worry. And what I'm going to do in these next few moments is I'm going to answer three questions. And the first one is why? Why do we worry? And why should we not worry? And then the second question is what? What do we do if we're not going to worry? It's okay just to say, well, don't worry, but then what do you do? And then finally, how? It's no good being in the position where you know what you should do if you don't know how to do it. And many of us, we have a kind of theoretical understanding of what we should be doing and how we should be navigating life, but we don't really know how to put it into practice. Now, this is hopefully relevant for you, whether you're a Christian or whether you're finding your way back or whether you're kind of hanging on to your faith by a fingernail or you're just on the outside kind of looking in. But how we find uh, ways not to worry, what we do instead is really, really key because whether you're resilient or not or whether you feel personally affected by the stuff that's happening globally or not, it is undeniable that there's tremendous anxiety and worry, fear 
and destabilization in our world today. Mental health charities did um, a, a survey in 2017, and they found in 2017 that one in nine young people in the UK have a diagnosable mental health condition. Not just, I feel a little bit down, or I, I struggle to cope some days, but an actual clinically diagnosable condition. Uh, anxiety being one of the chief ones. That's in 2017, and those figures are absolutely shocking because they are un. Parallel. They are unprecedented. They are unlike anything that we've ever seen before. One in nine is, it's just way worse than we've ever experienced. They've done the same survey today, and they found out that today it's not one in nine, it's actually one in six. And it feels like the world is becoming a more and more scary place. It feels like more and more people are having worry baked into their lives. If you're under the age of 30 years old, the chances are that you have a, a greater challenge to hold on to robust sense of, of peace and centeredness and calm, maybe than any other generation before you. And so Jesus speaks. And this is why I love, this is why I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And look, if this is your first time and if you're new to us and you're thinking, what is this church? They're a little bit odd. You just need to know the most important thing about us is that we are all about Jesus. We love Jesus. All we want to do is follow Jesus and become like Jesus. But Jesus is amazing. He's just brilliant because he doesn't say, you know, follow me, everything will be fine. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. His most famous sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. And by this time, thousands are gathering around him. It's the apex of his popularity. If ever there was a time to be the populace playing to the crowd and saying, it's all going to be great, it's all going to be fine, follow me, everything will be hunky-dory. This is the moment. But he doesn't. He starts off, blessed are you when you mourn. Blessed are you when you're poor. Blessed are you when you're overwhelmed, when you're persecuted, when you are broken. This is the reality of the, the lives into which Jesus is speaking. And he goes on in this sermon and he says this, and, and for me this is perhaps the, the best part in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Everyone say do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. In other words, the people that Jesus is talking to are people that literally have worries and anxiety about their very life. Am I going to have enough food to put on the table? Am I going to have clothes to, 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 to keep me warm? You know, this is a, a very, um, in, in many ways, a very poor, primitive, ancient society going through very, very difficult challenges and occupied territory where there is violence and oppression and injustice on every side. And Jesus is speaking directly into this and he says, don't worry about your life. And that's why, where we ask the question, why? Surely it's a good time to worry. Surely right now we should all be panicking and throwing our hands in the air and worrying. Surely this is just... A, an intelligent response to what's going on in the world. Worry, anxiety, of course, it's just being smart about the way that things are. Why should I not worry? And so Jesus, he goes on. But what he does is it's a little bit frustrating what Jesus says. Now I said that Jesus is amazing, but sometimes Jesus kind of gives you the stock answer and it's not quite satisfying. He says, why should you not worry? He says this, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? At which point he said, yeah, 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 
I get that. That's kind of like the, the, the religious answer. It's like the correct spiritual answer. Don't worry about this life. There's more to life than the physical, the material. And I could literally stand here and I could say to you, we've got all these problems, we've got war, we've got climate crisis, we've got political fallout, upheaval, we've got an uncertain future, but don't worry because there's a better life out there. You know, there's more to life than what you see on the outside. And I could be really spiritual, but it doesn't necessarily help us. And Jesus can tell that the people are kind of, they're not buying it. And so he goes further and he says this, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, okay, come back, stop, come back. It's not just about having a spiritual life. It's not just about acknowledging that there's a transcendent aspect to our existence. In this world, look around you. You see that it all tends to work out. Birds and animals, they, they, they manage. You know, they are taken care of. By whom? By their heavenly father. In other words, God's kind of out there and things will work out in the wash. But again, it's not the greatest why. It's not the greatest motivation. I'm still feeling worried and I'm not completely convinced. I feel like I've been given the right answers. There's more to life than the physical, the material. You know, if you can't get a house or if... Uh, War breaks out even further in, in Europe and there's tactical nukes and all that stuff. You know, well, well, there is a better life to come. That's not really doing it. Or God is the loving father. He's out there. He's, he's got his hand on the world. It's not doing it. And then Jesus drops this amazing truth. And it just changes everything. It's like, I know, I know, I'm not playing with you, but I'm giving you all these answers, and these are the answers that you're expecting a spiritual leader to give. But let me give you something that you're not expecting a spiritual leader to give. He says this, are you not much more valuable than they? Drops the mic, and the crowd are just in awe. Because what Jesus says it's not, there's more to life than McDonald's and iPhones. He's not just saying God is out there and he's a loving heavenly father and he takes care of the world. He's saying, you have no idea how valuable you are to God. I know that there's some of you watching and there's some of you in the room right now and you, maybe even a month ago, faith wasn't a thing for you. you, you you're just beginning to test it and, and you're getting a, a rising sense of, could this, be, could this be true? Could this be right? You need to hear this louder than anything else. And if you take nothing else from my words tonight, take this one down. You are so valuable to God. The message that Jesus gives isn't just bow down and worship God because he's the awesome creator of the universe. The message is the awesome creator of the universe loves you with an unexpressible, incomprehensible love. You are of unbelievable value to him. And we said this uh, the other week in another series. The biggest problem that you have in your Christian faith is that you have no idea how much God loves you. If I could get a sense of how much God loves me, it would put things into perspective. It would give me a greater confidence that he's there. Do you know, when I've got two, two daughters, um, my wife and I, two daughters, and um, they're wonderful, they're amazing, and a little bit 
sentimental um, because it is um, our youngest's last time in Metro for a little while before she goes into the big world and gets a job. But um, even with uh, my other daughter who's on the other side of the world, she will ring up and she will say, Dad, I need you to support me. I need your help. I need your perspective. I'm having trouble. I'm having worries. And she has worries and she comes to me. Why? Because she knows that she is incredibly valuable. They are both incredibly valuable to me. I would give everything I have for them. I would lay down everything I possibly... There's nothing that I would do, there's nothing that I would not do uh, <laughs> to come through for them. And can you imagine that God feels that way about you. And the answer to the question, why? Why not worry? It seems perfectly rational, perfectly logical to worry. Jesus says, don't worry because God loves you, because you're precious to him, you're important to him, you're valuable to him. You don't think that you're valuable. Some of you, you're not even valuable to yourselves, but God says, you are unbelievably valuable to me. You're the pearl of great price. You're a treasure buried in a field. You're worth giving everything for. You are of incalculable value to your Father in heaven. And that changes the game. And if you come to have even the slightest sniff of that, it changes your whole relationship with worry and anxiety. It doesn't mean that the problems go away, but it means that you have a kind of a confidence and so this is why Jesus goes on. So he carries on. He says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. This is why we come to the what. What do I do? Because if Jesus says, don't worry, well, it's really not enough. It's not enough if I say to you, don't worry, because it's impossible to not worry unless you have something else to replace it with. You know, they say you cannot erase a thought. You can only replace a thought. So if I say to you, do not think of a pink elephant with stripes on riding a tiger and a little unicycle, you think of that. You, you, you can't. Yeah, well, that's because you're, you're a creative soul. But if I say, let me put it down easy for you. If I say, don't think of a pink tiger. Yeah, I'm thinking about the pink tiger. Thank you, thank you, working with me. It's got a bit of backwards and forwards. You, you can't just say, don't think about something. You've got to replace that thought. Think of a white lion. Yeah, the tiger's gone, right? Just like that. The unicycle, all gone. But we, we, we need to not just say don't worry. And that's what so much of kind of pop psychology and Instagram thoughts do. They're like thought for the day. Don't worry, be happy, it's all cool. But Jesus never stops there. He says, don't worry instead. He says, the pagans, and that's not like a pejorative term. He's not like dissing them. They were literally pagans. Pagans had many gods. The Jewish Christians, these new believers, they just believed in the one God. But pagans, they, they, they bowed down to idols. He says, they run after all these things. They run after, how am I going to do my life? What about my job? What about, my, how am I going to afford to live? How, how am I going to put clothes on the table? <laughs> Whatever it is. The, the pagans run after all these things. But instead of running after these things, he says to you, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 
It's really, really interesting because those two words, run after and seek, they're essentially, in Jesus' language, they're the same word. It's just that when he says run after, it's a kind of beefed up version of the word. But the root is the same and it means to strive towards, to look towards, to run after, to, to, to want to grab a hold of, to be on a quest for. And he's saying, look, the whole world is on a quest. They're looking, they're searching, they're striving to do life and to get through and to do well. That's what everyone is doing. And that causes worry. You will always worry about the things that you're running after. You will always have anxiety about the things that you're trying to get in life. That's just human nature. But Jesus says, this is what you need to do. Instead of running after that, run after the kingdom. Seek God's kingdom. This is a radical thought. This is so totally different. And Jesus speaks constantly, continually about the kingdom. And very often as Christians, as believers even, you can be in church for years and not really go for the kingdom and not think about the kingdom. But for Jesus, the kingdom was everything. I've, I've tried and I've tried to find a better way of saying this, um, but I keep coming back to a series of adverts that were big in the noughties. So if you've heard this, then uh, honestly, I've tried to find a better way of expressing it. But back in the noughties, first decade of the 21st century, um, TV was at its peak and we were all watching TV normally. No Netflix, no Amazon Prime, just what was on the television. What was on the television was adverts. And you'd get adverts that everyone would know and everyone would see. And over the 90s, over that decade, there was one series of adverts and it was voted the greatest advert of the uh, first decade of the 21st century. And then after that, pretty much no one did adverts. They just became a more of a niche thing and then you're targeted and it's like, why do it? Why am I being offered nail clippers and nose hair trimmers? Um, everyone get that stuff? Is it? Okay. <laughs> All right, never mind. Uh, I guess it's just, anyway. Um, targeted ads. But back in those days, these adverts, this series of adverts were the best. And it was a series of adverts. The first one, the biggest one, was a bunch of guys playing football. It was a pub football league. But when you looked at them, you realized that every single person in that team was an English sporting icon. Bobby Charlton, Jack Charlton, while they were still alive. You know, it was Stuart Pearce and, and all these guys. They, they were still alive. It was a long time ago. But uh, they, they are just running rings around the opposition because they're all veterans of the World Cup winning team or uh, subsequent great British footballers. And it's this amazing thing. And then they're all laughing and drinking in the pub afterwards. And it's Carlsberg. And it says this, the voiceover comes and says, Carlsberg don't do pub football teams. But if they did, they'd be the best pub football teams in the world. And that was the kind of the gig. And then they had all these ones like it. So they have uh, these guys and they turn up at a nightclub. But the bouncers are incredibly polite, even though they're not very well dressed. And these kind of guys walk in, not greatly dressed, but this whole place is full of, of just kind of gorgeous women. And uh, every single woman wants to dance with these guys. And it's just it's, it's horribly sexist and uh, <laughs> misogynistic. And, and, but it, it was kind of... It just did the whole thing. It was obviously aimed at guys in, in a particular demographic. It says, Carlsberg don't do uh, nightclubs, but if they did, they would probably be the best nightclubs in the world. 
And the final one was a guy and he knocks on a door and he's looking at a flat. He's going to see if he wants to take this room in a flat. And he's welcomed by a really cool guy and then he meets one flatmate and again, it's a gorgeous uh, person and they're, they, they, they're doing a DJ mix. And then he meets another person and uh, she's also gorgeous but she uh, is a professional chef and she insists that no one else is allowed to do the cooking. She'll just make food for everybody. And then he's taken into his room. There's flat screen TV the size of a wall. He has a balcony and as he goes onto the balcony, he realizes that the balcony overlooks Wembley Football Stadium. Carlsberg don't do flatmates, but if they did, they would be the best flatmates in the world. And when they won this award, Carlsberg, the ad uh, company behind it, said, we wanted to imagine a world in which Carlsberg take the same care and dedication that they put into brewing their beers into making a better world. And we imagined the world according to Carlsberg. And we think the world according to Carlsberg would be a better place. Yeah, I mean, it would be a very sexist and <laughs> drunken place, uh, but sure. But the, the idea behind what would the world look like if it was done like this, or if it was done with this kind of care and attention, or what would it look like if you could have the ideal version of this thing? And when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's talking about the world according to Jesus. The kingdom of God is the answer to the question, what would it look like if Jesus did politics? What would it look like if Jesus did education? What would it look like if Jesus did social justice? What would it look like if Jesus did environmental policy? What would it look like if Jesus did community? What would it look like if Jesus did care for the poor? What would it look like if Jesus did international relations? What would it look like if Jesus did art? and media and all of these things. What would our world look like? What would it look like if Jesus did my family? What would it look like if Jesus did my marriage? It's the answer to the question, what would it look like if, uh, yeah, Jesus was at the heart and at the center of all these things? It's a world according to Jesus. In other words, the kingdom of God is God's dream for humanity. It's a humanity, it's a dream where everyone is loved and cared for. Where there is grace, where there is mercy, where there is compassion, where there is fairness, where there is equity, where there is justice. Where there is love, where there is joy, where there is peace, where there is just a, a laying down of our agendas for one another and a kind of perfect society where we are caring and we're loving and we are like Jesus, where forgiveness and mercy flows, where there is uh, everyone able to be included, no one excluded. The Bible gives a picture later on uh, in the, the final pages of the book where it talks about a, a place and experience where there is no more tears and no more crying and no more death and no more dying. The kingdom of God. And Jesus says, listen, instead of worrying, Instead of running after the things that the world runs after, instead of being consumed by working out how you're going to do life and how you're going to get through this challenge, Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to seek the kingdom. I want you to look for the kingdom. And I said that we're a, 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 kind of a, a funny old beast, Metro. But I tell you, this is the thing that you need to know about us. We are a bunch of people that are gathering together in the best way that we know how in order to seek 
the kingdom. The way that we've put it is we want to see people find Jesus, love one another, follow Jesus and serve the city. That's how we have been consumed with a vision of seeking the kingdom. We don't want to just do church. We don't want to just have a nice club. We want to be a place where you can find Jesus. That's why the question mark is there. If you've got questions about faith, if you're looking for meaning and purpose, we want to do the best so that you have a fighting chance to find Jesus. And we love our city. We love those around us. We want people to know about Jesus. And for those of you that are thinking through faith and you've got spiritual questions, again, we want to invite, we've got Alpha starting this Wednesday evening. There's a little welcome invitation on your seat. And we want to build people into loving communities. We have this, we're gripped by this idea of communities that come together and they they overcome cultural boundaries and economic boundaries. And people gather together to serve and to love and to, to be real and authentic and do life together and genuinely love together. We believe that there's a world that's crying out for decent community. And, and that is hard, it's tough, it's hard graft. It, it takes a lot of effort and forgiveness and, and just grit and determination, but we're determined to pursue it and to press forward, to help one another follow Jesus, really answering the question, what would it look like if Jesus did my job? What would it look like if Jesus lived in my community? What would it look like if Jesus had access to my bank account? What would it look like if Jesus was doing my relationships, if Jesus was setting my agenda? That's what we call following Jesus or being a disciple. And then we say we want to serve our city. We genuinely want to see our city become a more equitable, fair, joyful place. And Kate is just gripped. She's got this thing. She's, she keeps saying to me, she says, Philip, we need to put out a thing because she's been working behind the scenes to open doors, uh, to increase our social uh, justice program. We, we are already involved with food poverty. We're already involved with the homeless and, and women caught in the sex trade. But Jesus, uh, Jesus, <laughs> that's how much I think of her. <laughs> Kate, uh, she says, you know, I, I wanted to, to take people from Metro in to the, the local schools. Actually, in this area in which we are based, it's one of the poorest uh, wards of Bristol and, and the most deprived. You wouldn't think it, but it's true. And so Kate has been making connections with school governors and education uh, leads to go in and take a bunch of us and go and sit with kids and, and read with them. And you can change the outcome of kids because we say, what would it look like if Jesus was going into schools loving children? And Kate keeps coming up to me and saying, can I tell people, can I give the notice, can I make a plea, can I invite people to join? And I say, no, you can't because it's Freshers' Week and we need to, to give them burritos and, and pick a mix and, and they need to know that they're welcome. And, and she's being very, very patient. But next week, she's going to come in and she's going to ask you all, can we serve our city? Can we serve our city? So why not worry? Well, we don't worry because we realize at a deep, profound level that we're loved and valuable to God. What do we do instead? We seek God's kingdom. And then the final question is this. Well, how? How do you seek the kingdom? And Jesus says, super easy, very, very clear. Let me show you how you do it. This is how you do it. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then he says, all these things will be added to you as well. Everyone say, seek first. Seek first. 
We have to seek first the kingdom. There's no other way to seek the kingdom. Sometimes Christians will have a kind of a leftover mentality. You'll say, well, I, I, I do want to serve God, but I can only do it with what's left over. I, I have to do my stuff and I've got to do my job or I've got to do my course, do my studies. And then when stuff is left over or when things calm down, then I'll, I'll do stuff. And we can literally play within a comfort zone. And then church and the community of faith just becomes this kind of ah, ah, receiving zone. And, you know... There's probably times when that's valid, but a lot of the time we're just not doing what Jesus told us to do. He says, don't seek it second. Don't put it on as a leftover. Don't have it as an add-on. Seek first. And you say, but Jesus, I've got a degree. Or Jesus, I've got a job. Or Jesus, I've got to earn a salary. Or Jesus, I've got limited physical resources. And Jesus says, don't worry. All these things will be added to you as well. It's not an either or. You seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You run after all these things and you won't get the kingdom of God. There's only one way in which this works. There's only one way to do faith really, really radically. I remember when I was at university and all these new students coming in, it's making me all kind of nostalgic. But I remember being in my final year taking my exams and I had this thing because I felt like, do you know what God, I have I, I, I have sought the kingdom of God first. I have run after it. I've strived for it. And I can remember just saying so many, uh, uh, so many ways I put God first. I put church first. I served. I gave. And uh, I really wrecked my degree because I just didn't hold back. I was just gripped by this thing of the kingdom of God. And I was, I was passionate about a vision of God's dream for humanity and people's lives that matter. And what could be more important than, than telling people about Jesus and inviting them to find out more and sitting with the broken and helping those that are in need and building community because it doesn't build itself. And I did all these things. And I can remember going through my exams. And actually, it was going fairly well. I had a lot of catch-up to do. But I remember I, I wanted a 2-1. And I knew that I'd blown it. I had burnt that bridge. 2-2. Two, two, and that's okay because I, I was seeking the kingdom of God first. And I remember distinctly being in my room. And uh, I'd just done a, a, another exam. And I came and I was praying. And I said, you know, Lord... I think if I hadn't done all that stuff for you, I think if I hadn't done all that stuff for church, I think I could have got the 2-1. But I am happy to sacrifice because I am a holy person. And uh, this is what I've, I've made my choice, I've made my bed, and I will lie in it. And I will never forget opening the envelope two months later, opening the little thing, and it says, you've got a first. And I felt like God say, don't you ever talk to me like that again. How patronizing to think that you can outgive God. Do you not understand that's not the way that it works? You seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be denied you, but it's a good trade. No. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you as well. I'm like, you can't have it all. You can't have it both ways. Jesus is saying, do you know how valuable that you are? God is able to do more than you think. Most of us, we just never tried. We just never stepped out. We never went out on a limb for Jesus. 
We played within ourselves. We, 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 we made calculations. We figured out the odds. And we came to the conclusion, we give God this much. The leftovers. We seek second the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus says, oh, if I could find a bunch of people who would radically, sacrificially give it all die to self, take up the cross, seek the kingdom of God, bring in into reality the dream of God for humanity. Oh, those are the kind of people that I could bless. Those are the kind of people that I could add all these things to as well. Because I have infinite resources and I'm able to do amazing things. So I'd like us to pray. Because Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. Your father knows that you need these things. But the moment that you just run after them and make them priority number one, that's the moment that you are lost to worry, anxiety, and trouble. But those who hear my words, trust me and seek first the kingdom. Prioritize first the work of God. Those that are sharing good news, who are building a loving community, who are laying their lives down, who are making a difference. And I'm not saying go crazy and be irresponsible, but I am saying have a little bit of trust that God is able to. And I honestly, from that moment on, I never had such a proud, conceited attitude towards God <laughs> again. I learned my lesson. I'm like, God, if you want to teach me more lessons like that, I, I'm up for it. But I learned that God will never let you out give him. He'll never let you be ashamed and humiliated because you went to serve him. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray about um, worry. We're going to pray about our physical needs. Some of you, it's like, yeah, Philip, I like it. But if you knew what I'm looking at, if you knew what barrel I'm staring down, uh, if you knew my, my financial situation, or some of you are thinking, yeah, but Philip, did you see what happened to my gas electricity bill just this week? Or Philip, do you realize what it's like to live with the, all this stuff hanging over us, this sort of Damocles, it's the global climate crisis. You know, if we can get through the Putin thing, you know, the guy's putting the cold back into the cold war. We, we can get through that, but what about all this other stuff? And yet, God says, you're so valuable to me, and I'm your father. And if you seek first, I'm going to make sure that I take care of you. And all you do by seeking first is just you put yourself in the place where I can take care of you. So I'm just going to ask us to close our eyes and to pray.